Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Mitchell. I think he wants to preach, too. Hey, uh, stand up with me if you love Canada. And if you're not standing, I'm going to recommend that you move to Afghanistan or Somalia or Pakistan. How many of you stay standing if you've got a testimony of God's grace and goodness? Here's my thoughts. Two things. Revival comes... One of two ways, the way I see it. (laughs) When God's people humble themselves and pray and call out to him for deliverance and freedom. Or when persecution hits the church and they have no choice but to fall to their knees to survive. Right now, it's multiple choice. You get to choose A or B. There's not much in between there. You either personally renew your life with God and get into prayer on a regular basis, or persecution's gonna hit the church hard and you're going to have to pray to survive. And it might be both. But I want to invite you all, encourage you all, strongly encourage, twist your arm in courage. From 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., we're going to have the sanctuary open for prayer for our nation. Okay. Specifically, we're going to pray for 12 hours for Canada. Okay. If you want to socialize, don't come here. Socialize out in the parking lot or something, but don't socialize in here. There'll be music playing. There'll be some leaders around just to keep order in case someone gets crazy and wants to prophesy about, you know, who's going to win the hockey game tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) If they're prophesying about that, see, false prophet. (laughs) But see, what happens is there'll be some leaders, but basically you come in and you just cry out to God for Canada. And I'd like to see everyone come for an hour or two hours or three hours or five hours to cry out for our city and our nation. And then connected to that is, you need to vote. If you're old enough to vote, let your voice be heard. Otherwise, I don't hear it. If Christians would just simply vote, we can turn the tide. And, And we need to look at things like righteousness. And there's a lot of confusion out there right now. And people know, oh, do I vote for this or this? People are very passionate, but they're not always strategic. People are excited, but they're not always wise. Okay? You need to pray. You got the Holy Spirit in you. It says, ask him daily for wisdom. If we do simply that, he will give us all the wisdom that we need. I want to announce two more things. You can stay standing for those that can. Um, Wednesday. This Wednesday, Pastor RJ was talking about the importance of testimony. How many of you want Satan to be defeated in your lives? Absolutely. Right? Do you know how we, do you know how we defeat Satan? The blood of the lamb, the word of our testimonies, and we love By the word of our testimony. Actually, Revelation 12, verse 11 says, Satan is defeated by the blood of the lamb, which is the work of the cross already completed, and by the words of our testimony. We, you know, it's, it hasn't been a normal thing 
for us to just be open and bold with our testimony. But maybe that's why we struggle as much as we do. We need to become bold with our testimony. This Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, here in the sanctuary, testimony night. And baptism. And baptism. If you've never been baptized, you can come on Wednesday night and get baptized. That's right. Come on out. Let's fill the sanctuary. Do you know how amazing it would be if it was as full as it is right now? That would be awesome. People sharing testimony. And here's another thing about a testimony. Sometimes nobody wants to hear my story. Have you ever thought that? Nobody wants to hear my story. Let me tell you something. If one person resonates with your story, you've changed a life. Designed to lead. Mitch talked about it, showed some passion for it. Today at 11 o'clock, it's not too late. I can't tell you enough the importance of partnering with what we're doing as a church, the direction we're going as a church. If you think I'm too old or I'm too young, you're not. Because we all have the power within us by the power of the Holy Spirit to be an influence in the lives of others. Designed to lead helps to make it intentional by giving you the direction and the understanding of how it works. And we need, we need, in a time like this, we need to be offering the hope of the future that is ours in Christ Jesus. And I know, I've been that one. Yeah, but I don't know enough. I, you know, that's, somebody else can do that. Uh Uh-uh. The Bible has declared you are priests, holy priests. It is our job. If you can't come out at the 11 o'clock service, you can join in on Zoom on Tuesday. But no, I don't like Zoom. Come this Tuesday and then the next Sunday, come on the morning at 11 o'clock. But connect, connect. Des Griffiths and uh, Steve Arsenault are teaching this morning at 11 o'clock. If you got questions, find them. It's upstairs by the fellowship hall, room 329. Um, It's the only room where people will be. So just find the people. Follow the crowds. Amen. Thank you all. You can be seated. We'll see you tonight and tomorrow morning. (sighs) Precursor. Today's conversation. I've concluded that Nobody has complete revelation, especially the matters we're going to be talking about, except maybe God. Okay? So rather than force interpretations and concluding accurately, even on minor points, we'd rather have a greater conversation and talk about some of the different points of view and things like that. There's a couple points of view that we kind of, I'm going to say, discourage or, or lean away from, but there's reasons for that, as I talked about uh, last week. And as we're talking about the great wars of the Bible um, that are in the future yet, um, I think foundationally we have to have a conversation about the millennial reign of Christ. And your view on the millennial reign of Christ will determine whether there's two wars or three wars or four wars (laughs) or... So, and there's, there's many versions of this, so we're going to kind of just try to um, simplify the millennial reign, okay? And we don't want to go into a huge discourse on rapture theology. We're going to actually do a whole lesson on the rapture, and we're 
going to talk about that and all the different views that are involved in that. But we're going to do that at a later date. So we're not trying to get into that. Quick. Absolutely. We're having a conversation today. Yes, we are. In case some of you want to just tune out, I don't care about wars and pre-millennial, post-millennial, all that stuff. If that's you, I want to encourage you. We don't know for certain how things are all going to play out. We have some ideas, but we don't know for certain. It is critically important that we know what's in Scripture so that as things play out, we can say, aha, uh -huh, that lines up with the Word of God. And it helps give better understanding the further we press into this, how things are going to play out. So I, please stay awake. <laughs> Go ahead by Aaron Brake. You can read that quote. There's a quote by Aaron Brake. It says, there are three views within Christian eschatology regarding the millennium or thousand-year reign of Christ described in Revelation 20, premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. Very briefly, the premillennial view believes Christ returns before the thousand-year reign, hence pre. The postmillennial view believes Christ returns after the thousand-year reign, hence post. And the amillennial view denies a literal earthly reign of Christ, hence ah. Believing the millennial reign to be contemporaneous with contemporaneous, the yep that my typo. <laughs> with the present church age and spiritual in nature while Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. The premillennial view is by far the most widely held view among evangelical Christians, especially in America. So I want to start with premillennial. Premillennial. Premillennialism. Big words. Premillennialism is the view that Christ's second coming will occur prior to his millennial kingdom and that the millennial kingdom is a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ on earth. So this is, this is important to understand these terms about premillennialism because when you're going through some of these prophetic words about the wars, it varies the timing and the references. And that's why we're doing this as a precursor. Um, but the simple thesis of premillennialism is that Jesus will literally return to the earth before the thousand-year reign as described in Revelation. Premillennialism as a system is based on a literal or normative method of biblical interpretation. And in this system, words mean what they actually normally mean when you're reading something in everyday usage. And, and so there's not references or allegory and, and all that other stuff. Um, this view is scripturally rooted in the Abrahamic, Abraham, Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12 and the literal land of Israel combined with the promise to David that there would be, one of his descendants would be on his throne forever. And that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And keep in mind, we're having a, I'm going to call this the baby conversation on this, because we could probably do an entire lesson talking about the pros, cons, the ins and the outs of the premillennial uh, point of view. 
There is some limitations with this point of view. Um, one of the challenges that we encounter is where does the church fit in, in in the last days narrative? Because a lot of the prophecy that we specifically look to speaks directly to the land of Israel. And uh, there's lots of conversation about this thousand-year period. Um, it's a term that you only find in Revelation 20, although you do find it six times in Revelation 20. It's only referenced there in that one chapter. And the final point that I'm going to list, even though there's, there's, there's many more points we could make on both sides of this, we're just trying to give you a brief overview. Who is going to enact the kingdom of God on earth? Does the church through evangelism enact the kingdom of God, and that's how the nations come to know Christ? Or does Jesus literally show up and conquer the nations of the earth? Okay, these are questions that we have to answer when we look at the premillennial view. Then there's amillennialism or amillennialism, however you want to say it. Uh, they don't believe in a literal millennium, and the literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth is not something that they would adhere to because they believe that Christ is now sitting on the throne. He's sitting on the throne of David. The present church age is the kingdom over which Christ reigns from the cross till the time of his second coming is the millennial reign. And when you're looking at the amillennial view, it tends to be more of a figurative interpretation of the book of Revelation. Now, it is a prophetic book, so we have to figure out, is it a literal or is it a figurative? Is it an allegory? Is it a picture? Is it, you know? And this perspective relies, um, you know, on a figurative interpretation. But, like, if you were to put up Psalms 5010, I think we gave them that verse. If they could put that up real quick. And, and if we look at Psalms 5010, maybe I'll look it up real fast here. For all the animals in the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Is God talking about a literally a thousand hills that he owns the cows on? Or is it a picture in the book of Psalms? Okay, so that, that's the question that people have with that uh, millennial reign. Is it a literal thousand years or is it a thousand year reign? You know, you can look at 1 Chronicles 16, 15, but we won't. In John 12, 31, Colossians 2, 15, I'm just going to give you the references. 1 John 3, 8 and Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Christ conquers or destroys the power of Satan. We see this. Amillennials believe the thousand years is a picture of what's currently happening in the church age. Most people in this point of view are dispensationalist in perspective, not all. And then it's a spiritual and a natural kingdom, not just a restoration of the physical throne of David. Okay, so some of the limitations with the amillennial point of view. Framing the cultural relevance of the church. Because of the spiritual interpretation of the millennial reign happening right now, because um, basically the amillennial is from the coming of Christ to the coming of Christ. And so that means we are now presently, currently living in that millennial reign. So um, in that, there's the discrepancy uh, by some that the church doesn't need to be engaged um, in kingdom building and with impact and culture, which is completely contrary to what we're trying to present as the new culture or the culture that should be the church of being sent ones, go and make disciples. And this produces some sort of spiritual mysticism if we're not careful. 
And for the sake of conversation, so you all understand, um, when we're talking about this, Pastor Larry tends to lean more towards the premillennial. And for me, it's more of a toss-up. I'm not sure if it's the amillennial or premillennial, so I'm like, pick one, you know. Uh, like we said at the beginning, we don't really know. There is the post-millennial view. Um, for us, it's the least plausible view um, off the top. And the reason for that is um, Acts 3.21, the church will restore the glory of God on earth. Matthew 24, the gospel will be preached all over the world. Um, the post-millennial view in simplest form, it removes the Jewish people or natural Israel from the conversation completely. Yep. Um, there's a few versions um, where the Jews are the Antichrist, um, but that's a shameless plug for next week's lesson. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Antichrist uh, next week. And uh, this view is often associated with an earlier writing to the book of Revelation, which we talked about last week. And the church conquers the world for God uh, starting in AD 70. And uh, anyway... So we're, we're not going to really build too much on that point of view as far as our conversations today. And then when we're looking at the wars that we're about to go into, okay, we know there's the, I'm going to call it the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war, the Gog of Magog, which we'll come back to. There's the Armageddon war that it talks about in the book of Revelation. And it awful, also, awful, it also references um, a potential post-millennial Gog-Magog war at the end of the millennial reign, which is different than the Gog of Magog war that we see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I'm not even taking into account things like uh, Psalms 83 and Isaiah 17, where it looks like Israel's going to have a localized war with maybe some of their Arab neighbors somewhere in there, maybe before all of this end time agenda starts, starts happening maybe that's the war that initiates the Gog of Magog war. That's very possible, you know. I've been thinking about that. Because it talks about in Isaiah 17, and, and I know some of you may not be familiar with the references, but that's where it talks about how Damascus is going to be leveled or in ruins. You've probably heard that reference. And uh, right now there's a civil war going on in Damascus, and, and Russia's involved, you know, Israel's involved, a few other people are involved, and we're not exactly sure which way that's going to spin out. Although, somewhere in the conversation, Damascus gets flattened. Yeah. So, how many of you are more confused than you were when we started? There is a point to all of this. <laughs> Absolutely, go ahead. There is, right? We are going to get to a point. Eventually. Hopefully we'll get there today. Let's go to the uh, Gog of Magog war first. Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, verse 2. Son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. We want to make sure that it's clear that this war is not a war that has already been done. Some people think it is. It's not a first century war of Jerusalem being conquered, okay? And so um, when we look at this war, um, many theologians have taught that the Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy is the same prophecy as the Battle of Armageddon. We've heard, I've heard that many, many times. And what we want to do is go through some comparisons 
of these three wars and show you the distinctions between them. Now, understanding that some may draw a very close comparison between the Armageddon War and the Gog and Magog War of, that's described in Revelation 20. I've also heard things like Bill Gates is the Antichrist. Yeah. Oh yeah, but we won't go there because yeah. we're talking about Antichrist next Sunday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we know this. <laughs> did, did, we, did we get the map? I, did we get the map? Is there a map? Oh. Yeah. And he even took that one out. Perfect. That's well done, perfect. Gavin. Okay. Uh, who allies together in the Gog of Magog? War? So we see that Gog seems to be the leader or the ruler of the place of Magog. Okay. And also um, it says that he's the prince who rules over Meshach and Tubal. Okay. Now, one of the things that we have to remember when we're looking at this list of nations is in Genesis chapter 10, you see the table of nations. Yep. Historians, archaeologists, and theologians have as many different interpretations of that table of nations as I think we do for the different views on the rapture. Uh, and depending on how you break down the Genesis 10 table of nations, but this picture that we found from... Oh, that's good. Uh, I forget the name of the lady that put this one out, but we kind of took her map and modified it slightly. They did a pretty good job of putting the most of the regions in there. So if you look at the top, you'll see the region of Magog, okay? And, and that seems like it's, it's Russia, the, the breakaway republics of Russia would be up in that region. And then if you look to the, how can I say it? The left where Gomer is, can you go through those ones? Gomer, yeah, so that's the Eastern, the Eastern European uh, countries, and there's some discrepancy as to which ones are all included, um, but for argument's sake, and, and again, different theologians have different views, but we're just going to reference them as the Eastern European nations. Germany, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia and Romania, <clears throat> as well as Bulgaria, okay. And then if you, if you go a little bit south of Gomer to Meshach and Tubal, that's where you have countries like Azerbaijan and Georgia. Some of those breakaway Russian republics are in there. I think Turkey's over in there as well. Okay. And then if you go further east, Togarma is Uzbekistan, Turzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. you know. Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. So there's some theologians that actually, when you're going west, they include China, east. sorry, east. east, China, India, a little bit of Southeast Asia in that conversation as well. Um, it's generally not as well accepted, but it is a very viable possibility that it could be there. And then Persia is absolutely Iran. We know that for sure. And then if you go to the very south in the, in the northern part of Africa, we see Algeria, Morocco, Libya, Sudan, Ethiopia. So these are the players right now for this first Gog of Magog. So the leader of Magog, which appears to be Russia, is going to have this alliance, possibly an Islamic alliance based on 
what we see is that list of countries there. And at some point in this Gog of Magog war of Ezekiel 38, they're coming and they want to plunder Israel. So if I can make mention as well in regards to that, it seems very evident that in order for all of that to take place, we need to be watching for alliances of Russia with the previous USSR states. Mm -hmm. And um, we know that that's always been in the heart of, of, of Russia. Um, but as it begins to unfold before our eyes, reader beware, watch. So to quote an extra biblical source just for fun, in The Art of War by Sang Chu, Sang Chu, Sang Chu, Art of War, they even talk about how we break ourselves apart and appear weak while we grow strong. And then when we're ready to attack our enemies, we unite and we catch them by surprise because they think we're against each other. Yeah. I can actually see that scenario happening right now with all of the breakaway republics from Russia. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make mention of who allies in the Armageddon War, but can you scroll to read those verses? Yeah, which one do you want? We're gonna start with Zechariah chapter 14, okay. verse two. Um, so we're gonna, in, in uh, Zechariah, in Revelation, in Joel, all three of these passages reference specifically this war. Okay, this is Armageddon now. So we're moving from Gog of Magog to Armageddon because we're contrasting these, these different events that happen. Yep. Zechariah 14.2, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. What does it say? All nations. All the nations. So that's a little bit of a different perspective than we see in Ezekiel 38, where it lists specific ones. And in Revelation 16, 14? 16 verse 14, yeah. They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on the great judgment day of God the Almighty. Okay. So in Armageddon, we also see that all the rulers of the world are present. Right. And, and it's the same in Joel 3, 9. Yep. Uh, you're going to see that uh, basically Armageddon is all the nations of the earth coming against Christ. Okay. Gog of Magog is a few specific nations here. They're going to plunder Israel. And, and an interesting note for all of you. You know how we are considered like the breadbasket of Canada? Has anyone ever heard that term? Yep. So Southwestern Ontario grows a lot of the produce. Okay. Not, not the wheat, but the produce, like the apples and the, like the... Fruits, vegetables. Yeah, those type of things is grown in this region. Um, and we feed a lot, of, a lot of places with the food that we grow from, you know, Essex County up through till Toronto and the Niagara region. Um, and then, and then California is another place that they grow a lot of produce, and Florida. Yep. But Israel right now is basically feeding Europe with produce. That's right. They're producing most of the produce that's going into Europe. So the land of Israel is actually very rich agriculturally, and it's producing up to four crops a year. Because God found a way to bring food out of the desert. You know, 
And uh, that's a very, uh, how can I say it? That's a juicy target for someone that's hungry. If your people are hungry, oh, let's go take Israel. They'll feed us. Anyway. So let's look into where does the invasion come from? And, and, and we're not going to go into the actual scriptures for the sake of time. But um, oh, in the Gog of Magog... Pause. We skipped the other one, the, the Revelation 19:20 war. Oh, I forgot the Gog Magog war. Yeah. So just one more reference. Yep. Sorry. Just to give you a comparison. It's okay. Revelation 20 verse 8. I'm excited to go there too because it's more fun. Where does it come from? Um, the nations listed. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle. A mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. So, and, and then it goes on and it talks about them in the plain. So, simply put, there's the Gog of Magog war, and there's the Armageddon war. And then if you're premillennial, there's going to be another Gog-Magog war at the end of the thousand years. If you're amillennial, Armageddon and the Gog-Magog war are the same. Could be the same. Could be the same. Because we don't really know. But okay, now where does it come from? <laughs> where does the invasion come from? For the Gog of Magog war from the prophecy of, of uh, Ezekiel. Um, again, I'm just going to reference it for the sake of time. Chapter 38, verses 6 and verse 15. And then again in 39, verse 2. It references specifically that the invasion comes down from the north to the mountains of Israel. Yeah. And then if you go to Armageddon, which is Joel 3.2, Joel 3.12, Zechariah 14.4, Revelation 16.16. 16. It'll probably save us a lot of time if we don't go read all those right now. All the nations are going to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, a place called Armageddon or the Valley of Megiddo. Yeah. So they're all assembling in this one location. And then if you go to the Revelation 20 war, it says that the armies surround Jerusalem. So they're coming in from all sides. Yeah. But just to understand that the, um, the Valley of Jehoshaphat is not a valley that exists right now. It doesn't exist, okay? But with the second coming of Christ, the Mount of Olives splits, creating the Valley of Jehoshaphat, but it is right beside Jerusalem. That's right and there. so could there be possible comparisons between you know, the uh, Revelation 20 war and the Armageddon war Yes, possibly. I'll admit. Which leads but us But I do to... not agree. <laughs> <laughs> but we're still friends. Yes, we are. <laughs> Where does the invasion come from? So we just talked about that. Yep. <laughs> What's the purpose of the invasion? That's the one we want to get to. Yep. Um, in Ezekiel 38, clearly the Gog of Magog War, they want to plunder Israel. They want, they're looking at spoil. They're looking at the prize. They're looking at... What are we going to gain from them? How many know you don't go to war unless there's something you're going to gain from it? That's right. Like, why would you go to war if there's nothing to gain? Some of you probably should apply that to your relationships. <laughs> you want me to go on to Armageddon? Sure. Okay. You might as well carry on <laughs> after that. In Revelation 16, 14, and in Zechariah 14, 12, clearly Armageddon, they're uniting to take out Christ. They want to destroy Jesus. I wish him all the best. That's right. 
And uh, in Revelation 20, verse 9, it talks about destroying God's people in the beloved city of Jerusalem. Okay, so <laughs> we're not sure if, again, Armageddon and that second Gog, like, could you be talking about the same thing? Maybe are they two separate things? Potentially, but we just, you don't really know which it is, and, and nobody does, and anyone that claims to, I think is making a very um, bold statement because there's not enough evidence. So who's supporting? So for the Gog of Magog, the Ezekiel War, um, if we can go to Ezekiel 38, verse 13, I just want to read this quickly. Uh, Ezekiel 38, verse 13, it says, But Sheba and Daban, Dadan, sorry, and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off plunder? It seems to reference the idea that there are some nations that are looking at this and say, you know, sure, you've got a great big army, but do you really honestly think that you're going to succeed? Can you, can you put that map back up again? And, and depending on how you want to look at it, like I've heard people teach that Sheba and Dedan is like the United States, Canada, South Africa, Australia. I've also heard Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Egypt, Yemen, like those could also be states. It's funny that Egypt is strangely silent through the biblical narrative, but I guess when I look at Egypt, the last time they went against Israel with the 10 plagues and their army got wiped out, I'm pretty sure it's ingrained in their brains for all of eternity, not a good idea. Yeah. <clears throat> so in regards to the Armageddon War and the Gog-Magog War of Revelation 20, um, there's no indication in scripture whatsoever of... Um, nations actually opposing. And so it seems as though all, as it says, all nations rise up against. And so, yeah, logically, if all the nations are rising up against Israel or against Jerusalem, then obviously there's no one opposed. A-L-L. How is the invasion destroyed? This is actually something that's, that's a key point of understanding because in Ezekiel 38, verse 20 to 22, where it's talking about the Gog of Magog, the leader Gog who goes in with Magog and his allies. Hail, rain, fire, burning sulfur, earthquakes. People are going to turn on each other, diseases, plagues. Man, those guys are going to have some problems. That's how that war is going to end. The Armageddon. Zechariah 14 verses 12 and 13 talks specifically about a deadly plague. It doesn't reference what that plague is specifically, but it references a deadly plague. But in Revelation chapter 16 verse 21, it talks about the plague of hailstones. Now, have you ever been in a hailstorm where it actually really, really hurts? Try to imagine hailstones up to the size of 75 pounds coming down at you. That's going to reshape the landscape. That will hurt in a big way. Yeah, I can imagine. But here's the one that is my favorite one, because in Revelation 20, verse 9, basically Jesus speaks and fire from heaven comes down. I think, you know, 
In Ezekiel 38, in Zechariah 14, in Revelation 16, you know, okay, let's send some hailstones and let's send some plagues and some fire and we'll make them turn. By the time we get to the end, he's like, yeah, I'm done now. Good luck. But I think the important thing to understand in all of these wars is they are acts of God that stand to defend Israel and God's people. Acts of God. There's nothing metaphorical or allegorical or simile or anything. These are acts of God. And you got to understand, right now, the culture is setting itself up to oppose God. Mankind, A, they don't believe in God. B, they think they are God. And C, they want to become gods. Okay? And what happens, yeah, very consistent with Satan's plan. But what happens is it's very logical for them to come to the place where they think that they can overthrow him. Mm-hmm. Okay. That happened once before. It didn't go so well for Satan and his angels. No. But the revisionists make us forget about the history that was. Yep. And we don't remember the history that's going to be unfolding in the future. So then um, where was it destroyed? Where, where, where did this all blow up for all these people that thought that they would defy God? In Ezekiel 39, we see clearly that it's in the mountains of Israel. That's right. And uh, it actually goes on and it talks about after the first war, um, it took them seven months to purify the land. Seven months. It doesn't list that with any of the other wars. So I'm guessing that, you know, Armageddon in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. That's Zechariah 14.2, Revelation 14, you know. Uh, So if, if in the second war God just consumes them and they vaporize... That's a little different than having to clean up the dead and, you know. Uh, but, but we also know that the birds come, right, yep. and devour the flesh. And we had a long conversation about that, actually, when we were prepping for this, because a lot of people think that that last Revelation 20 war is a spiritual war. But it specifically references the birds of the air come and feast on their flesh. And I'm like, if it's a spiritual war, how can it feast on their flesh? It's a spiritual war with physical elements. Yes, absolutely. So it's both. It's a spiritual war with physical people. Yeah. Hi, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then um, where's the invasion destroyed? Um, Revelation 29, that that last one we talk about potentially is around Jerusalem. Anyway. And for the sake of believing that the two... Armageddon War and the Revelation 20 War could be the same. Yes. Around Jerusalem also encompasses the Valley Valley of Jehoshaphat. So argument's sake, they could be the same. I don't think so, but they could be. So what is the end result? In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 16, verse 23, chapter 39, verse 7, and verse 21, It references the idea that all nations, including Israel, know that I am, not I, but this is the Lord saying, that I am the Lord, their God. So we see that this Gog of Magog war is going to wake up the nation of Israel. They're going to lose some people, but the people that are left are going to go, okay, yes, sir. But then along with that as well, there's the wake up of the nations to say, wait a minute, what just happened? What just happened here? You know, which I think at the same time can stir up more anger yes. and more hatred towards Israel. God's people, Israel and God's people. 
which includes us, by the way. And then in Armageddon, it says that the people cursed God. Revelation 16, 21. And in Joel 3, they're going to know that Jesus lives in Zion and that Jerusalem is going to be a holy city forever. Zechariah 14, all the survivors are going to go and worship the king who sits on the throne. My guess is not everyone will be destroyed at Armageddon. So the ones and some, there's some references to, what is it, five-sixths? Five-sixths. So one-sixth of the army that survives that is going to be like, yep, it's all about him. <laughs> going to have to change religion, change my belief system, and start serving Jesus. Because, uh, but the people aren't going to like that because they're thinking that they're going to overthrow Jesus. That's right. Deception breeds more deception. That's right. Strong delusions have come upon the earth, right? Like, this is something we got to remember. And then, so in the last war, Revelation yes. 20, verse 10. Yep. The Bible says that the devil is thrown into the lake of fire, joining the beast and the false prophet, where he will be tormented forever and ever. So if there is a war that ends all wars. That's it. That's the one. That's the one. So that's why, not just that, because there's other verses there too, which we didn't t cover. There's many others that we didn't get but to. But it just, it just really, really draws the, con the confusion perhaps. Are there two? Are there three great wars? Maybe there's four prophesied yet. But the point is this. Perhaps one of the most important questions that we need to ask is, thinking specifically of, of the, the Ezekiel prophecy, the Lord told... Gog, the enemy of Israel, get ready, be prepared. If the Lord is telling the enemy to get ready, be prepared. What's he telling us? What's he telling us? Shouldn't we be getting ready? Shouldn't we be prepared? And we know that in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord himself will fight for you. We got to learn to stay calm. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you victory. In Revelation 16, 15, look, I will come as an unexpected as a thief. Blessed are those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. Sounds like we need to be prepared. There's an element of preparation that the church has to find itself in, and this is the season of preparation. You know, with all the talk about being awoke, the church needs to wake up to the yep. season that we're in and the signs of the times yep. that we're seeing all around us and what's happening in the world. And uh, it's not business as usual. It's not, life will never go back to how it was. No. But for the church, it shouldn't. Because we were too comfortable as a whole. We were too apathetic. We were prayerless. We were powerless. What kind of church is that? Sounds like you're putting in a plug for tonight. Well, pray. Yes. Come, pray. Pray. Nothing happens without prayer. Not good anyway. There's a quote by Joel Rosenberg from his book, Auschwitz Escape. He says, to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil is to risk being blindsided by it. Do you understand the threat of evil? which scripture so clearly indicates will come upon the earth? Can you afford not to study and understand what God says in his word is about to come and how it will affect all those who love and serve him? 
These are important questions that we need to be processing. So these prophecies that we're reading about, they're some of the most interesting, most important descriptions of end time events in the entire Bible. Unfortunately, too few people in the world are aware of them or have even read them, much less studied them carefully. The comedians reference it all the time. Interestingly. As a joke. Yeah. yeah. To discredit it. But God wrote some stuff thousands of years ago, and it's amazing. You're watching things that were written thousands of years ago unfold before your very eyes. So we're going to be praying that God is going to bless you, that he's going to reveal himself to you. And as you prepare yourself for what's coming to the earth, that we'll be ready to be the glorious church that he's called us to be. Amen. Why don't you all stand with us? I'm always amazed when I take a look and I think about the life of Jesus Christ and how he suffered. And he told his disciples that they would follow in his footsteps. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Christ. I'm not going to reference all of them, but the one that amazes me the most is John. They put him in boiling fat, and even that didn't kill him. And that's why they put him on the island of Patmos, because God knew his time was not done, and he had some important words to write. Important words for us. Are you reading? Do you know? When we partake of this bread, we are reflecting on the broken body of Jesus Christ who died for us that we can have life. Sometimes we have this concept that that life is a life that's supposed to be easy. He didn't promise that. He didn't promise that. He said, if you follow after me, you will experience trials and tribulations as I did. Are you ready? Every time I partake of this bread, I am reminded of the walk that I need to walk and the source, Jesus Christ, who gives me everything I need for every day, for every moment, for every trial, for every tribulation. My eyes are on Jesus, only Jesus. And as we partake, may we be reminded. Father God, we thank you for your body that was broken showing us, Father God, that you have overcome the worst of tribulation, the worst of trials. And we can look to you as our source, our strength. We don't need to be afraid of what's coming because you promise us that you are with us always to the very end of the age. And so we look to you Strengthen us, Father God. Strengthen us. Walk with us. Anoint us, Father God, with, with revelation, with, with, with understanding of these events as they unfold before us, Father God. May, may the words that are planted in our hearts come to life and give us understanding. Thank you, Father God. Let's partake together. 
So we have the cup in our hand, the blood of Jesus. I get a sense that there's some of you that are reflecting within yourselves. You're saying, man, I can't give any emotional energy to this right now because I can barely get out of bed this morning. Mm. I'm so discouraged. I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. I'm so afraid. I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. You need to make a declaration over your life of the blood of Jesus. That's right. Because the power of God is released when you start declaring the power of the blood of Jesus over your life. Depression gets turned into joy at the foot of the cross. Discouragement has to go. Fear is cast out by love. When you receive the love of God, there's no place in your heart for fear. And we need to start immersing ourselves in the truth from the word of God. Father, I pray for your church today that the warriors that you have called to war, that they would go forward with your armor, with your power, with your might in unity and in oneness. Father, declaring the banner of the blood of Jesus over their life because there's no power in hell that can stand against the blood of Jesus. Father, we know victory is ours in your name, but the battle rages on all around us. Help us not looking to the left or to the right, but let us look straight ahead to the cross where our freedom really is. And let our lives be exchanged for your glory. And continue to reveal yourself to your church. Lord, this is the greatest time to be alive as we watch the things that you wrote about thousands of years ago unfold in the earth. But Lord, we have hope that the glory of God is being revealed to humanity in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our city, and in our nation. So Lord, as we stand together for you today, I thank you that there's a spirit of might and there's a spirit of power being released upon your people. And they're rising up into that place, picking up the sword of the spirit, the word of God to go to war against the powers of darkness. And your word says the gates of hell will not stand against the truth in your word. So this day, Father, deliver your people from the hand of the enemy in the name of Jesus. Amen. We bless you all as you go. We'll look forward to seeing you as you pray with us tonight. Father, let them go in peace in the name of Jesus.